What's the number for 911? Anyone remember? <laughs> okay, seriously. Has anyone ever forgot that number? No one? Okay, I have forgotten the number to 911. I was on a road trip with my dad to Texas over spring break. And we had just finished dinner, and all of a sudden, my dad becomes short of breath, having a hard time breathing, and he's starting to have chest pains. And now I was already beginning to worry about whether or not this might be the last time I see my dad again, given all of his past issues with heart-related concerns. And so I start panicking, trying to find the nearest phone, because this was long ago, back in the day before everyone had cell phones in their pocket. And so I got to the nearest phone, I picked up the handle, and I dialed 911, and nothing happened. I had completely forgotten that this was one of those phones that you had to dial 9 first in order to get an outside line. So 9911 was what I needed. Isn't it interesting that in our gospel for today, from Luke, this beloved physician, who is so attentive to all of the details of people's illnesses and the way that Jesus has healed them, that he is so attentive to mention this little detail about the grief brain. The way in which, when you have gone through a loss, you begin to forget things. You begin to forget things that you have always known. Even something as common and basic as the number to 911. For any of you who have lost someone close to you, whether a spouse or a child or a niece or a nephew or a close friend, you know the feelings of grief and you know how they don't go away after the funeral. Debbie Reeder from our pastoral care staff is leading a grief group starting next week. And anyone who has experienced a loss, no matter how recent, is welcome and invited to go. Or friends that you know who have experienced a loss. It's a great way to be able to come together and share where you are at and share the feelings that you're going through in a safe and supportive way. And one of the things that people often comment on who are going through grief is how they lose all sense of time. In the days leading up to a death, and even in the days after a person has died, the days seem to blend together so that sometimes people don't even remember what day the person actually died. Or they forget things that they've always known, like the birth date of the person who died, or their wedding date. They forget such important things as those. Others have noted that sometimes they can't even remember key moments and memories that have happened until much later. It's the grief brain. It's what happens when our brain, our minds, are overwhelmed by the feelings of sadness and loss that we've experienced so that our memory becomes fuzzy and people report that it feels as if they are just trying to get through the day. Wake up, get dressed, do what they need to do to put their foot in front of the other. 
The women at the tomb are the same way. They come early that morning as if they are on autopilot. They're doing what they always have done for anyone who has died as a way to show respect and honor to that person with spices in hand to anoint Jesus' body. They do it as soon as they can because the day before is the Sabbath. And Luke takes note of their grief brain that overwhelms their thoughts in such a way that it causes them not to remember. Not to remember even the most important and poignant things that Jesus had just told them not that long ago. That Jesus had just told them after he asked them, who do people say that I am? And in this one bright and shining moment, Peter actually comes up with the right answer. Jesus, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus tells them, the Son of Man will go through great suffering, be betrayed, brought into the hands of the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and be killed. And on the third day, will be raised. And at the time, the women and the disciples didn't even know what to make of Jesus' words. They didn't know when they would take place, what Jesus meant by them, and they were too afraid to even ask. At the time, it just left this sinking feeling deep in their stomachs, but they didn't fully understand. And yet now, these two who appear in dazzling clothes, help them to remember. For they are, after all, at the tombs. Like a cemetery, this place of remembering the person who has died. Only instead of just remembering, these two proclaim to them good news. He has risen. And notice that they immediately go and they go and tell the rest of the disciples. And the disciples who are dealing with their own grief brain can't even begin to believe their words. They can't even begin to make sense of what the women are telling them. They're crazy. They must be telling idle tales. Surely they dreamt it or imagined it, or they're trying to make us feel better. Their own sadness and grief prevents them from hearing and believing the words of the women and their experience. But you know when you hear something and you so hope it is true and you can't quite get it out of your mind and you have to go and find out for yourself Peter's in that same situation. And so he goes and he runs to the tomb and he stoops and he looks in and he sees just the cloths lying there. Nobody, just like that of the women. And he is filled with amazement and awe deep in his heart. He still doesn't even know what to make of all of it, but he goes home, saying to himself, thanks be to God. So on Thursday this past week, I received a call from Debbie Reeder, who had gotten a call from the sons of one of our members saying that they had just moved their mother into hospice care. And so I immediately went to that place 
and sat with her, talked with her, shared some songs with her, read some of the sacred stories of this week. Beginning with the ones that we heard on Monday, Thursday, where Jesus gathered with his disciples for this meal, where Jesus tried to prepare them for what they would experience of what was to come. When he said to them in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I kind of jumped ahead to what you'll hear next Sunday, that first Easter evening when Jesus appears among his disciples. And how does he greet them? Peace be with you. And then he breathed on them and gave them his Holy Spirit. I knew it wouldn't be long for Marilyn and that she probably wouldn't make it to this day. And so as I said a prayer for her to experience the same peace of Jesus followed by the Lord's Prayer and then ended with the blessing that we hear at the end of every worship. And then I ended with the words that I always say, to everyone in that holy space. See you soon. I've said them to members who have fought cancer after cancer after cancer, who have come to the point where they recognize they can't quite fight anymore. And in the remaining strength that they have, they gather everyone that they love, everyone close to them, everyone whose lives they have touched to come near around their bedside. And the reason why I say those words, see you soon, instead of goodbye, is they speak so profoundly to what I believe and what I trust to be so this day that even in the midst of sadness and loss and grief and death, they proclaim a promise of eternal life because of Jesus. They proclaim a, proclaim a time in which we are all gathered together in the light and presence of God around God's heavenly banquet table. They proclaim that because of him, death doesn't get the last word. They speak powerfully to this good news that we hear this day. He has risen and they speak words of hope, even in the face of congestive heart failure, even in the face of cancer, even in the face of tragic accidents, of addiction, Alzheimer's, stillbirth, miscarriage. They speak words of hope that none of those things get the final word in our lives. And that makes my heart struck with awe and amazement and incredible thanks. As does showing up at the empty tomb this day. As does hearing again what has taken place. As does hearing again what it is that the women and Peter have experienced. As does hearing Jesus' words that have shaped me in my life, and that have lifted me up and encouraged me and helped me to know 
that not even on the Good Fridays of our lives are we ever alone. So how you got here this day, whether you were still a little sleepy-eyed coming to this tomb, or whether you were hurrying trying to get your potluck dishes out the door, doesn't matter how you came. What matters most is how you leave here this day. And I think there's one of two responses. You can respond like the women at the tomb who go and tell, who go and tell how God has made a difference in your life, who go and tell what Jesus means to you, who go and tell what this experience of church and faith has meant in your life. Even if some think you're just crazy telling idle tales. Or you're like Peter, and maybe you go home, and you need a while to just let it all sink in. But your heart is filled with this amazement and awe and wonder and gratitude for what it is that God has done through Christ and how Jesus has changed your life. You have to remember, though, that like Peter, he was one of the leaders of the church. And so then you eventually help others to be able to experience this good news for themselves. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen.